For Gunther Cunningham, football comes first. The life of an NFL coach isn't easy. I'll tell you what. The hours are long. The pressure is enormous. I've never seen anything like it. But Cunningham loves it. And the Chiefs. So much so that he's returned to the team that once fired him. They run the ball. The first guy there, Cole cocked that runner's ass. Wrap him up. Butt him up. Somebody said, Gun, you yell a lot. Well, hell with that. I am not keeping it bottled inside. I want you to know I'm pissed off. If you screw up, you're that 11th guy that's going to be, his ass going to be standing next to me, I'm going to give you a damn bus ticket. A second group, get back out there and do it right. Hit him. Hit him right between the fucking eyes. That's what you got to do. Destroy his fucking will. Everything else will happen. There's two things going to happen. Either I'm going to win or I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm small. They say I'm old, but I got a lot of fight left in me. <laughs> Welcome into the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzim Masugi and the host of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys taking the time to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. A lot to get into, as you just heard right there from that audio compilation. Uh, those were some of the highlights from Gunther Cunningham on Hard Knocks when the Chiefs were on it in 2007. And obviously, the biggest Chiefs story of the week, one of the biggest NFL stories this week, Gunther Cunningham passing away at the age of 72. We will talk about that later on in the podcast, talk about what he meant to the Kansas City Chiefs and some of your favorite moments. I asked for some of your guys' favorite moments on Facebook, and I will read some of those comments later on in this episode. As I mentioned, Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzivusugan. That is my Facebook page. Get in touch with me on there. Interact with me. Join in on all the conversation on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. And make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean. And share the links with your friends. And by the way, uh, before I forget, uh, I'm working on something, uh, something pretty cool. That will change the podcast in a very positive way. It has to do with uh, fan involvement, listener involvement for this podcast. So uh, I don't want to say anything right now, but I'm hoping next week, and I'll get into this in a moment, but Monday we're going to have a podcast, and I hope I can make this announcement on Monday's episode uh, because there is something pretty cool I'm working on with this podcast, and I'm hoping it'll... It'll work, it'll be used, it'll it'll be good, uh, but stay tuned. I'm hoping Monday I will have an announcement regarding what this is. And I did mention Monday, uh, so obviously we're doing this podcast on a Friday. Monday we will be back. Uh, my birthday is next week, so I'm going to get the podcast out of the way. Next week's episode is going to be sooner, so we'll talk about some Chiefs news. If not, there's a lot to get into right now, especially with everything going on with the Chiefs. Uh, we'll still have some, some things to discuss, discuss. We'll do our closing segments, and that will all be on Monday's episode. And then uh, we'll be back uh, before the end of the month, uh, for sure. Likely on the 30th is when the uh, podcast will come back. So, uh, going to have a bit of a, a gap there uh, between two episodes. But nonetheless, uh, next week's episode will be a little bit early, so I can take off uh, for my birthday. Uh, get, 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 getting the podcast out of the way uh, is what I'm going to do. Uh, just so I can relax the rest of the week. Uh, as for this episode, a lot to get into. The Kansas City Chiefs have acquired a new linebacker, Darren Lee. I'll tell you everything you need to know about Darren Lee and what he brings to the table. And the linebacking corp right now in Kansas City looks very interesting. So we'll talk about that. The Chiefs signed Dwayne Bow. Yes, the Dwayne Bow to a one-day contract. He will retire as a Kansas City Chief, the third Kansas City Chief, uh, or former Kansas City Chief, I should say, to do that. Uh, Kareem Hunt spoke for the first time publicly since the interview he did on ESPN two days after his Chiefs release. Uh, He did have some things to say and some questions asked by the media. And by the way, the media is taking a lot of flack for some of the questions that they asked Kareem Hunt. So we will talk about that later on. The Jets fired their general manager, Patrick Peterson, a player many Chiefs fans wanted. He has been suspended for six games now, and Scott Pioli, uh, a former chief, a uh, former Chiefs GM, has resigned as the assistant Falcons GM. So multiple uh, front office moves taking place around the NFL. So we'll talk about that. Uh, gonna talk 
almost every sport in the book in our closing segments. We'll talk NBA. We'll talk NHL, Major League Baseball, uh, even soccer, pro wrestling. uh, A lot of things we're going to talk about in the closing segments. Hope you guys are all enjoying your week, uh, getting ready for your weekend. A lot to get into here on this episode, so little time to waste. Let's get right into it. Uh, we'll get into Gunther Cunningham uh, before the closing segments because you guys had some uh, great posts on our Facebook page that I want to read, uh, but we'll do that a little bit later. Uh, the uh, latest news involving the Kansas City Chiefs involves them uh, signing Darren Lee, the linebacker from the New York Jets. Or excuse me, I said signing him, trading for him rather, and I'll get into the Jets a little bit later, but... This was kind of interesting because on Wednesday, the Jets fired their general manager and their president. And on the same day that that all happened, the Jets made a trade. And just seems kind of interesting, all of that happening on the same day. You generally don't see that, where a team goes through a firing and they're also making a trade with another NFL team. Hardly ever see that. Usually the day is just filled with trying to figure things out uh, with the interim GM or interim head coach as they try to move forward. But uh, Adam Gase wasting little time as the interim GM for the Jets. Again, we'll get into that a little bit later. But from a Chiefs standpoint, of course, this is kind of an interesting acquisition for the Chiefs. Giving up, uh, it was a 2020 sixth-round pick. Sending it away to the Jets and the Chiefs getting Darren Lee. Who is Darren Lee? He was a 2016 first-round pick. From Ohio State, Adam Schefter, and I shared this on Facebook and on Twitter, Adam Schefter wrote something very interesting on Twitter about how the Chiefs have gone after a lot of first-round picks and second-round picks that didn't pan out well in their NFL careers, and the Chiefs have given up very little to acquire these players, and so far, it hasn't been perfect, but it's it seems to be paying off for Brett Veach. You certainly see the aggressiveness, and he's trying to make some moves here. And even though the Chiefs didn't trade for this player necessarily, but look at E.J. Manuel, who retired this week, a backup quarterback. Uh, he was a first-round draft pick in 2013. Uh, so the Chiefs have gone after a lot of former first-round draft picks under Brett Veach in the little time he's been the general manager of this football team, obviously taking over shortly before training camp in 2017. Uh, the way that all panned out was kind of odd, but uh, nonetheless, still... Uh, Brett Veach wasted a little time uh, showing off his aggressiveness as the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, some things to know about Darren Lee during his time at Ohio State, won the Big Ten Championship in 2014, also the CFP National Championship, and won a Sugar Bowl during his time at the Ohio State University. He has been with the Jets all three years in his NFL career up to this point. 36 total starts, 40 games played. He's missed eight games in his career Uh, If you look at the most recent season he's had with the Jets, pretty good one uh, with the Jets. Third on the team in total tackles, despite missing four games last year, had 74 total tackles. Also had three interceptions on the season, the most he's had in the season. In fact, those three interceptions, the only interceptions he's ever had in his career. That includes a pick six he had last season. Second on the team in tackles in 2017 with 94. And uh, he also had three sacks and a pair of forced fumbles. That year as well. Nate Taylor of The Athletic tweeted that Darren Lee is set to compete for the starting Will linebacker role position. One of the outside linebacker positions for the Chiefs defense. And like I said, the Chiefs, they gave up a 2020 sixth round pick for a player that has a lot of potential. Especially under Steve Spagnuolo's defense. And Steve Spagnuolo's defense, I think, is going to be one of the more intriguing storylines as the offseason continues from here on out, and it's going to pick up in training camp and going into the regular season, what kind of a defense are we going to see coming off kind of an odd year where the team co-led the NFL in sacks with the Steelers, but also was 31st, second to worst in yards allowed as a defense. Now, as far as the future of the linebackers right now, this is pretty interesting. Uh, The Chiefs have... A lot of notable names at their linebacking corp right now. If you go to Dan Shanka's website, uh, Dan Shanka, who of course is a friend of the podcast, uh, if you go to his website and go look at the depth charts, he has them laid out very nicely, and maybe he has a couple of 
I don't want to say mistakes necessarily, but maybe he has a player at a certain linebacker position. Maybe they'll play a different linebacker position. That's certainly understandable. I, I mean, the the full depth charts aren't out necessarily. You've got a lot of unofficial depth charts that teams create, which mean very little right now. But if you look at right now on that website, on if you look at the Chiefs depth chart on there right now, you got Reggie Ragland, who is your middle linebacker, and I heard Therese Paler say that he thinks Reggie Ragland's going to get a start or get a shot to start at middle linebacker. And then behind Ragland, you have Robert McRae, Gary Johnson, and Darius Harris, all undrafted free agents within the last two years. At the Will linebacker position, you've got Anthony Hitchens, and behind him, Damian Wilson, who just came over from the Dallas Cowboys. Hitchens also from the Dallas Cowboys, and both of these two players, they have experience playing in the 4-3 defense in Dallas. And you also have Martell Spate, or Martrell Spate, excuse me, uh, listed behind Wilson. And then for the Sam linebacker position, you got Dorian O'Daniel listed as a starter, which is I think is interesting, but again, means very little at this point. Jeremiah Tachu, a veteran who has signed with the Chiefs earlier this offseason. Ben Neiman, who showed some flashes in last year's preseason, who I think is a very intriguing name when you look at the linebackers right now. And you've also got Davison Raymond on uh, this football team listed as one of the SLBs. So here's the way I look at it right now with the linebackers. It's a pretty crowded backfield. Is it Kansas City's biggest strength right now? No, probably the biggest weakness on this football team. The defensive line was pretty bad last year, and now it looks like the defensive line might be one of the best in the NFL. When you consider Chris Jones, he's going to be playing defensive tackle, and you've acquired guys like Frank Clark, uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Alex Okafor, that defensive line is going to be pretty good this year. People have high expectations from this defensive line moving forward. I know there are a couple of other guys I I omitted there. Kalen Saunders and Derek Nottie, both recent third-round picks for the Chiefs. And I think this defensive line is going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, Again, pretty crowded defensive line there, pretty crowded front four. And going to see a lot of guys in rotation there in 2019, I think. Uh, I'll get, I'll go back to the linebackers in a moment, but you look at the secondary safeties. A uh, lot of good players there. You got Tyron Matthew, got Juan Thornhill, uh, who I think is going to do some special things for this defense in 2019 as a rookie. I think he could be a very strong candidate for defensive rookie of the year. And I think if I had to guess right now, who would be the Mackley Hill winner for the Chiefs? My my vote goes to Juan Thornhill. You guys know how excited I am about him. I've said that many times on this podcast and on social media. Uh, but but you've got some good safeties right now. Dan Sorensen, who I think a, a lot of people think he's he's done. But I think he's going to stick around. This is a guy who's been very active. He knows the defense very well. And he's done a good job filling in when, when needed to. I think being a backup safety uh, coming in as, in rotation, I think that's really the best role for him. And I think he can go back to that role. In 2019, people are curious to see what Armani Watts does. Uh, Jordan Lucas is a lot of player that Chiefs fans are intrigued in seeing. So you got that at, at the safety positions. And then at cornerback, Kendall Fuller, uh, one of the very few cornerbacks returning. You've got Shervarius Ward, who the Chiefs traded for. Tremont Smith, one of the Chiefs draft picks, who also plays as a kick returner. And of course, you added Bashad Breland, uh, who you were targeting last year, as well as Tyron Matthew. Uh, you you you've addressed a lot of things on this defense. You really have, and you look at linebackers now. You don't have a Tyron Matthew type of player or a Frank Clark type of impact player. It's someone that has that kind of value at linebacker. You don't. You have Reggie Ragland, who I thought was underrated a couple of years ago, but took a big step back last year. Anthony Hitchens also same story, underrated in 2017, but 2018. A big step back for him. And in fact, I recall uh, Pro Football Focus grading him as the second worst rated inside linebacker in 2018. Uh, you look at Damian Wilson. Again, he has experience in the 4-3 defense as a linebacker coming from the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Jeremiah Tachu, same thing. Dorian O'Daniel, uh, one of the uh, linebackers who the Chiefs kept on the fo- football team uh, as he's trying to convert to the 4-3. Here, here's what's interesting. The Chiefs cleaned a lot of house on this defense. They got rid of a lot of cornerbacks. They got rid of uh, Eric Berry. They got rid of uh, their Pro Bowl pass rushers in 
D Ford and Justin Houston. Uh, but the area where the Chiefs seemed to lack the most, which was the linebacker position, they retained those guys. Now, look, I get it. Houston, Barry, and Ford, all three very expensive players, and those are guys who it's hard to rely on them. They're not the most viable options when it comes to staying healthy on the field. So I get why they moved on. Health, pretty expensive. Whereas Raglan and Hitchens, not the case for them. And Dorian O'Daniel, Daniel, of course, uh, sticking around as well. And I think, well, I take that back. Anthony Hitchens, I mean, he's got a hefty contract, but not as hefty as some of the others. You get the idea, though. When you look at this linebacking corp right now, I think, you know, predictions could be all over the place right now. Some people think this could be a really good group of linebackers, and I think it depends on the defensive line, which I said earlier, I think the defensive line is going to do great things this year. Or, this is a defense that takes a step back with the linebackers. And that would be very hard to do, considering you were ranked 31st. You add Darren Lee to the mix, excuse me, and... You know, how do you fit all these people in? I'm going to tell you the guys who I think are worthy. I don't know if they're going to keep this many linebackers, but I think the guys who are worthy of uh, playing on an NFL roster, uh, on a 53-man roster in 2019, Reggie Ragland, Darren Lee, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, Dorian O'Daniel, Jeremiah Atachu, and I'll even throw Ben Neiman in there. That's seven players right there. I don't know... Uh, what the magic number is going to be for the Chiefs in terms of total linebackers that they're going to keep going into the NFL opener when they, uh, well, not the NFL opener, but the Chiefs opener when they open up the season in Jacksonville. But seven linebackers, maybe that's the right number. Four or four, three defense, maybe it's a little too much. Not exactly sure. Uh, but uh, you've got guys who have really good qualities and some guys who have starting experience in the NFL. You add Darren Lee to the mix, and I think that really does add some intriguing parts to this defense, uh, specifically with the linebackers. How do you move forward? How do you try to improve the linebackers in 2019? And how much of that can Darren Lee contribute to trying to improve the linebackers? You've got a lot of guys on this defense uh, at the linebacker spot. Ragland, Hitchens, uh, two guys that have done really well and they've done very poorly at times in their careers. Uh, they've been up and down. You've got Damian Wilson, who has some experience in this defense. You've got Jeremiah, T- or excuse me, when I say this defense, I'm saying as in, in the 4-3 scheme, Jeremiah Tachu has experience in the 4-3. Dorian O'Daniel seems kind of interesting, but... A lot of people felt like he was the best inside linebacker and he didn't play a whole lot last year. Uh, if you go by Pro Football Focus rankings, sure, he's probably the best linebacker the Chiefs had in 2018, which isn't saying a whole lot. Ben Neiman, uh, I like the guy. I think he did some really good things in the preseason last year. And is that something he can carry over in the regular season when his number gets called? I told you guys that my biggest concerns... For the Chiefs heading into the draft was center and linebackers. And the Chiefs did not address those positions early. Now, the whole Tyreek Hill audio incident, I mean, that definitely threw a wrinkle in Kansas City's plan right now. A lot of people thought drafting McCole Hardman would spell the end of Tyreek Hill's time in Kansas City. But with the recent developments, we haven't seen a whole lot there. And and not a lot of updates, by the way, or not any updates really on the Tyreek Hill end. uh, But... As far as the way the Chiefs tackled this draft, uh, they went after a wide receiver with one of their second-round picks, training up. Then they drafted another uh, player in the second round. Uh, it was a safety in Juan Thornhill. Went after a defensive tackle in Kalen Saunders. Went after Rashad Fenton at the quarterback position. Went after Darwin Thompson, who's a running back. And they didn't address the interior offensive line until their seventh-round pick. And they never went after a linebacker in this draft, which I thought was interesting. Uh, when you convert from the 3-4 to the 4-3, or even if it was vice versa, that linebacker position really does become a key part of your defense. 
And if the Chiefs did not go after a linebacker in this draft, or if they are trying to get some guys that have starting experience, but not necessarily pro bowl, all pro qualities uh, at linebacker, tells me that the Chiefs still feel really high on Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens. Now again, I know we've seen projections, a lot of predictions on social media as to where these guys would start. I think a lot of them are fairly accurate, and maybe one or two of those predictions could be wrong, but we'll see how it goes out. I'm just really curious, who ends up sticking on the team? That's going to be the position group I pay attention to the most when it comes to trimming the roster from 90 to 53. Again, lots of notable names on this defense right now. No one of Pro Bowl caliber, again, uh, Raglan, Hitchens, Wilson, Atachu, DOD, Darren Lean out to the mix, and Neiman. Uh, I think those seven linebackers really do make things interesting now, uh, especially with this trade from the Jets. Uh, now, again, I mentioned some of the other guys, uh, some of the undrafted free agents in the past couple of years, guys like Robert McCray, Martrell Spate, uh, Davis and Raymond. I mean, the, the, maybe these guys surprise us in training camp and in preseason games. We've got to be open to that as well. Uh, that may be one of those guys. Uh, maybe two of them ends up surprising us and they manage to get a starting spot on the team. Let me know your thoughts. Facebook.com slash Farzine Visuga and Twitter.com slash Farzine21. The other big chief story uh, from Thursday Dwayne Bowe signing a one-day contract with the Chiefs and will retire a Chief just like Jamal Charles and Derek Johnson doing so earlier this offseason. Uh, uh, Jamal Charles, if you guys remember, he got a handoff from Patrick Mahomes. Derek Johnson got to break a huddle. And Dwayne Bowe got to contribute to this kind of uh, tradition, I guess, if you want to call it, for these uh, one-day contract deals. So he uh, lined up with the Chiefs offense as a wide receiver. Obviously, I mean, how else would he line up as? Uh, And uh, he uh, caught a touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes on a play. And to clarify, yes, he caught it. He did not drop the pass. Did not drop the touchdown pass. I mean, better to improve on that. Better to be late than never. So, uh, uh, but in all uh, seriousness, though, uh, second all-time in receiving yards among wide receivers in franchise history behind Otis Taylor. If you include all pass catchers in franchise history, he's third in receiving yards with Tony Gonzalez obviously being in first. He is second in total receptions with Tony Gonzalez being first. And there was a significant gap between Tony Gonzalez and Dwayne Bowe in that category. But Dwayne Bowe has the most receptions by a wide receiver in Chiefs history. And he's also fifth in touchdown catches behind Gonzalez, Otis Taylor, Chris Burford, and Stephon Page being fourth, and Dwayne Bowe is fifth in that category. And look, he's obviously in the top five in all of these categories. I know the Chiefs haven't had the greatest history of pass catchers over the years. Tony Gonzalez, of course, a big name. But before Tony Gonzalez, who did you have? You had Otis Taylor and Chris Burford. And those, I mean, the, the, the Chiefs went several years before having a marquee name at that uh, at pass catcher whether it was tight end or at wide receiver and here here are the Chiefs right now with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey uh both by the way who are in the top 10 in Chiefs history in touchdown catches uh and I think Eddie Kennison deserves some credit there because even though he was never a Pro Bowl wide receiver he did a lot of good things for this offense and I think having Tony Gonzalez as a teammate was helpful a lot of defensive backs uh focusing in on Tony Gonzalez, and that helped Eddie Kennison make some plays of his own during his time as a Chief. But listen to this. Dwayne Bowe made it in the top five in all of these categories, and here are the quarterbacks he had to work with. He had Brody Croyle, Damon Heward, Tyler Palco, Matt Castle, Tyler Thigpen, Kyle Orton, Alex Smith. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Oh, Brady Quinn also on that list. Not the greatest list. Of of quarterbacks. Uh, in fact, I saw Sam Mellinger of the Kansas City Star. He tweeted that uh, the most impressive part of Dwayne Bowe's career was catching 15 touchdown passes with Matt Castle as his quarterback. I think Charlie Weiss being the offensive coordinator had a lot to do with it. 
Uh, so that's good. You look at his head coaches, Herm Edwards, Todd Haley, Romeo Cornell, and eventually Andy Reid. Offensive coordinators, boy, this is not a great list of offensive coordinators to play play for. Mike Solari, Chan Gailey, Charlie Weiss for just one year, Bill Muir, Brian Dable. Uh, fortunately, that was only for one year. And then you have Doug Peterson on the list as well. Uh, and listen, uh, when you play for so many different offensive coordinators, it means you have a lot of great offensive coordinators to the point where they keep getting hired as head coaches or... They're bad that they keep getting fired, and unfortunately, it was the latter for the Chiefs. Uh, Mike Solari, Chan Gailey, uh, Bill Muir. Uh, Muir retired, uh, but Dable was fired. Uh, Charlie Weiss was the only one who moved on to the college ranks, and Doug Peterson was the only one who moved on to become a head coach in the NFL. So everyone else either retired or fired. And again, that's that's a pretty big list. And uh, despite playing with a lot of bad quarterbacks, a lot of bad head coaches, a lot of bad offensive coordinators, Dwayne Bowe still did a lot of great things in his career with the Kansas City Chiefs. I know the drops, a big part of his career, I think some of the more notable drops. Now this one, not necessarily a drop, statistically speaking, but... It was the onside kick attempt in 2008 when the Chargers rallied from behind inside two minutes. Dwayne Bowe uh, in the onside uh, recovery formation uh, on the receiving end uh, for special teams. He was right there. The ball was right in his hands. And as a wide receiver, you are expected to, to come down with it. But it went through his body and came out and the Chargers picked up on it. And it was right in his hands. Uh, between his hand, hand and, and his chest and just slipped through. And that was a, a pretty notable moment. And in fact, if I remember, Dwayne Bow was either first or second that season in drops. Now that, again, like I said, was not a drop, but that was the more notable mishap that Dwayne Bow had. And then the other notable one that a lot of people talk about was in 2010 against the Colts. That was the... First loss of the season for the Chiefs in a game where Peyton Manning was terrible and the Chiefs really should have won that game. But uh, Dwayne Bell, wide open in the end zone, dropped it. And that was a, a, a key reason for Indianapolis being able to hand the Chiefs their first loss of the season. The Chiefs were the only undefeated team remaining at that point. And I, I think my favorite part about that, though, the way Dwayne Bell responded, he had one touchdown in those first four games uh, including the drop in that uh, loss uh, to the Colts. Now, the Chiefs did lose the following week to the Texans, but Dwayne Bowe responded with a great game. In fact, he had uh, several multi-touchdown catch games, and he ended up leading the NFL in touchdown catches that year with 15. Did a phenomenal job responding the way he did. I know Chris Carter hit him up right after that drop and gave him a lot of advice. And said, hey man, you got to you gotta be able to make those plays. You just have to. And that really changed Dwayne Bowe. In fact, I love it because the following week, after he dropped that uh, ball against the Colts, he caught a pass, again, a touchdown pass against the Texans. And he had this touchdown celebration where he was trying to let go of the football and pretending like it was glued on to his, to his glove. So, kind of an interesting, interesting way to celebrate, but... Uh, the way he came back, uh, responding from that drop, I thought was uh, significant. Uh, he obviously, the drops did come back, uh, unfortunately, for Dwayne Bowe. If you remember, against the Pittsburgh, this was in 2014. If I remember that's Dwayne Bowe's final year with the Chiefs. Uh, in 2014, the Chiefs did not throw a touchdown pass to a wide receiver that entire year. First time that's ever happened in NFL history. Oddly enough, I remember covering KU football two years before that in 2012, and they had the same exact thing happen. No touchdown uh, passes to a wide receiver, which seems impossible to do. You had to try to even accomplish something like that. Uh, but KU did it in 2012, and the Chiefs did it in 2014. And the Chiefs weren't even that terrible in 2014, which is odd. A lot of people blamed Alex Smith for the lack of touchdown passes to a wide receiver that year, and I could not disagree anymore. If you remember, in Week 16 against the Steelers, 
Alex Smith threw a perfect ball to Dwayne Bow wide open in the end zone, and he dropped it. Slipped out of his hands. Then uh, when Al- Alex Smith was injured in week 17, uh, I-, I think he had to he had that uh, appendectomy he had to go through. So Chase Daniel filled in. And Chase Daniel threw a pass to Dwayne Bow, and Dwayne Bow is on his way to the end zone, dives uh, to-, to cross the goal line. He fumbles on his way to the end zone. I'll never forget this. Travis Kelsey, that was actually his essentially his rookie year, drafted in 2013, but his first year playing was in 2014. Kelsey scoops the fumble in the end zone, and he could not have been any more sad. The the, the saddest player to ever catch a touchdown pass. Or I didn't even catch it. He recovered it in the end zone. He wanted his a wide receiver on the team to get the touchdown. He really wanted that. And that's why we all love Travis Kelsey so much, because he's so selfless on the field. And the Chiefs just, I mean, that was a bad year for them with wide receivers. Uh, Dwayne Bow, look, I, I know this is the moment for him, but we got to be honest at the same time, he had an up and down career with the Chiefs. Uh, a lot of great plays, uh, but also a lot of plays that hurt the Chiefs. Uh, but still, at the end of the day, despite playing with a lot of different quarterbacks, head coaches, and offensive coordinators, still put a big stamp on his career in this franchise. As one of the best wide receivers of all time, maybe at the moment, he could be considered the best wide receiver in franchise history. Uh, I think Otis Taylor is the only one you could really build a case for as to who would be better than Dwayne Bowe. Dwayne Bowe doesn't have as many yards, but he does have more touchdown catches. Or, uh, correction, uh, more receptions. He's fifth in touchdown catches, but second all-time in receptions behind Tony Gonzalez. So, uh, there, I, I think you can have a debate, a valid one, and you could say Dwayne Bowe's the best wide receiver of all, of all time, Otis Taylor, best receiver of all time, and I think it'd be pretty close as to who you would vote for. I think a lot of people would probably vote for Otis Taylor because he had a couple of uh, better numbers in yards and in touchdowns and also has the Super Bowl ring, uh, whereas Dwayne Bowe, I don't think, won a playoff game during his time with the Chiefs. So I, I think that would play uh, into consideration as well. But still, for the most part, Dwayne Bowe did very well, given what he had around him uh, as far as teammates and coaches to work with. Uh, I did want to touch on this a little bit. I know it's not Chiefs news necessarily, but uh, in a way it kind of is with Kareem Hunt. A lot of people, I think including me, Still wanted to hear from Kareem Hunt. He spoke for the first time. I'm not going to play any audio. But he was asked a lot of questions. And he says he tried to tell the truth to the Chiefs as much as possible. Dot, dot, dot. As much as possible with everything that was made available to the Chiefs. Uh, Obviously not security footage at the time. Now, he did say that he promised John Dorsey, who drafted him in Kansas City, that he will not be involved in anything like that ever again. And he's been in the community in the Cleveland area talking to kids and telling them to not make the mistakes that he made. Uh, He said he kept in touch with some of his Chiefs teammates. In fact, Baker Mayfield, the quarterback for the Browns, uh, he had said in an interview recently that he spoke to Patrick Mahomes, a former teammate of his in college at Texas Tech, uh, briefly, And he also spoke to Travis Kelsey, who is from the Ohio area, and they had great things to say about Kareem Hunt. Uh, This was kind of interesting. Uh, Kareem Hunt was asked about Tyreek Hill. I get the significance because they've both been in trouble recently, but maybe he could have, maybe the reporter was looking for, yeah, I have given him some advice recently, but that's not the answer he gave. Uh, he, in fact, he declined to answer anything about Tyreek Hill and basically said he doesn't know anything about that, which look, I think given how that story has changed so much, all the twists and turns, I think that is the best answer to give. Uh, but a lot of questions about the incident, about what happened, why it happened. Uh, if he has attempted to reach out to the woman, which he hasn't been able to because he doesn't know how to, which is understandable too, um, what he's learned from all that, what kind of a person he is, basically explaining his actions. And that went on for 18 minutes. Now, there were a couple of football questions, but a lot of Browns fans were really upset about the questions asked here. My thing is why. 
I get it. It's been, what, five, six months since his release? But this is the first time he is talking to anybody with the exception of one reporter from ESPN. This is the first time he's done a press conference since that incident happened. So he needs to answer these questions. The Browns knew that these questions were going to come up. Uh, Maybe the next time he is available to the media and is doing a press conference, a couple of those questions may come up. But next time, it'll be mostly football. Understandably so. I did talk about going to anger management and how uh, there were some reports that he was also involved in alcohol abuse programs. Not necessarily true according to Kareem Hunt, but the anger management programs did talk about alcohol uh, as he answered in one of the questions. Um, But a lot of the Browns fans were upset because a majority of these questions were about the incident. Listen, this is the first time he is speaking publicly. And I think he has a lot to answer. So I did not have any issues whatsoever. Maybe the the Tyree Kill question, but perhaps I can understand. Maybe the reporter was wondering if he gave any advice to Tyree Kill uh, throughout all this. Uh, But that's not the way that uh, conversation went in that press conference. Uh, Listen, when someone gets in big trouble the way Kareem Hunt has, that's what's going to happen in an 18-minute press conference. A lot of the questions are going to pertain to that incident. He was let go for a reason. There's a reason why he ended up with the Browns. Because he got in trouble with the Chiefs. Whenever Tyreek Hill becomes available to speak to the Chiefs. And I don't know. I know the Chiefs hate bad PR. And they're going to try to hide this as much as possible. I think they'll try to do it with a very short press conference. Try to make it as short as possible. But whenever Tyreek Hill does become available to the media, guess what, folks? People are not going to ask him about how he is the single-season receiving leader in Chiefs history. Everyone's going to ask him about his three-year-old son losing custody uh, temporarily for now. Uh, The audio, the attorney's letter, and some of the confusions in all of this. Because a lot of things are still unclear right now. The text messages are pretty significant, but still it's uncertain as to who should be charged and why. So whenever Tyreek Hill becomes available, guess what? Every single reporter there will have a question about all, all about this entire investigation. Now, Mary Kay Cabot, who is a beat writer, she's a female beat writer, obviously, in the Cleveland area, I don't know for what media outlet... But she is taking a lot of heat because apparently she has an agenda with Kareem Hunt. People said the same thing for Brooke Pryor when she was reporting on the Kareem Hunt incident and for the Tyreek Hill incident. If you remember Rachel Nichols, she asked a very valid question to Roger Goodell uh, at the time where there were a lot of players, and it still is the case unfortunately, but at the time... There were a lot of players, uh, NFL players, that were getting in trouble for domestic violence or just violence in general. And Rachel Nichols, I don't remember the question she asked, but Roger Goodell was pretty upset. In fact, his tone changed and he shut her question down immediately. And Goodell took a lot of criticism for that, but a lot of people still criticized Rachel Nichols for asking that. People criticized Brooke Pryor for her reporting in this Tyreek Hill matter. People are criticizing Mary Kay Cabot because she asked some valid and tough questions for Kareem Hunt. In fact, I don't know if you guys remember this, uh, but Lindsey Jones, who covers the Denver Broncos, uh, now she's with USA Today. She was with the Denver Post, now with USA Today. Uh, Peyton Manning, there was a report that came out that he had sexually harassed I don't remember who exactly it was. Some A female employee with Tennessee Athletics, if I remember correctly. Something to that extent. But Peyton Manning was accused of sexual harassment. And in Peyton Manning's retirement press conference shortly after the Broncos won a Super Bowl, Lindsey Jones asked Peyton Manning about that. And there was a massive uproar about this. People bashed Lindsey Jones because that was, quote, Peyton Manning's moment. First off, Peyton Manning, he is retiring, and his availability to the media will be very, very limited, or maybe he may not do any interviews for a while. So that right there was the best time to ask for it. People get angry when 
we speculate on incidents like this, but then when we ask players about it, those same people get upset. Well, look, do you want us to speculate, or do you want this player who is being accused of doing something bad to give his side of the story? That's what Lindsey Jones did, and people get upset about it because that was Peyton Manning's moment. Second of all, just because it is his moment, which it is, that's not the reporter's job to stroke his ego and bend their knee for, for this person. A reporter is there to ask questions. And when there is a big story involving Peyton Manning, and when instead of speculating, it's best to ask him and get his side of the story on all this. But people took issue with that. I guarantee you, nobody takes issue with that if that was a male reporter asking that. Look, I have seen tons of utterly horrendous male sports reporters and very rarely do they get criticized for their bad work. But the moment it is a female reporter who does something bad or something that people just disagree with when it comes to reporting, people pull out all the stops and want to go on strike until the media outlet fires this female reporter. I don't know why it's heavily frowned upon when a female reporter asks a tough question, a valid question, or is reporting on a story involving sexual harassment or violence. I don't understand that. Uh, I don't think Brooke Pryor did. At at the time, I questioned the reporting of the broken arm, but obviously that ended up being true. Tyreek Hill's three-year-old son did suffer a broken arm. How it happened exactly is still unclear, but... I don't recall her necessarily accusing Tyreek Hill of breaking his son's arm. And people still wanted to bash Brooke Pryor for this. And I think it's really just uncalled for the way people went about this. It's uncalled for how people are criticizing Mary Kay Cabot for asking very valid questions to Kareem Hunt. Uh, Again, I've seen a lot of terrible male sports reporters, but when they ask the same exact questions, people don't seem to care. But when a female is asking this, people want to make a big deal about it. Why? I don't know. Uh, I'm not smart enough to really know why, I guess. But if you if you know, hey man, I'm all ears. We're going to have a discussion about this. Facebook.com slash Farzivisugi and Twitter.com slash Farzine21. Uh, real quickly, I want to touch on this, obviously. This was uh, another big story this week involving both the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Of course, I played the uh, audio clip in the beginning, the compilation there from HBO Hard Knocks. That was the uh, death of Gunther Cunningham. He has passed away at the age of 72 on Saturday. That was made public on Monday. He spent four years as a defensive coordinator in his first stint under Marty Schottenheimer. And after Schottenheimer was let go, he spent two years as the head coach of the Chiefs. He was fired, and then he came back, spent five more years as a defensive coordinator in his second stint with the Chiefs, 11 years total as a head coach and a defensive coordinator in Kansas City. 11 years total, 47 years altogether coaching football in the NFL. A lot of stops on the way. The Rams, the Titans, the the Lions. Uh, a lot of places uh, where Gunther Cunningham, Gunther Cunningham has been to in his NFL career. Uh, look, didn't have a very good run as a head coach. Mediocre, if anything. Obviously, hard shoes to fill in after Marty was let go. When he returned as a defensive coordinator, the defense didn't really improve a whole lot. I think there were some aggressive, a lot of aggressive moments. But overall, uh, the defense never really improved. Still allowed a lot of yards, especially on the ground. Uh, But I remember talking to Jared Page once. In fact, Jared Page was the very first NFL player I ever interviewed. I was 16 years old at the time. I'll never forget that. I asked Jared Page if, he, if there's anything he can tell me about Gunther that makes him different compared to all the other coaches that he had played for. And Jared Page said, Gunther's spirit is a big thing, and that is something he has never seen from a defensive coordinator before. And players loved playing for Gunther. They really did. Because of the aggressiveness aggressiveness, excuse me, he emphasized with his players over the years. In fact, I think one of the one of my favorite photos I've I've seen, and I remember this and I saw this was brought up again this week. David Hewlett from the Kansas City Star uh, shared a photo of Gunther Cunningham when he was a member of the Lions after he was let go by the Chiefs uh, several years. Uh, in fact, I think this is the first time Cunningham went up against the Chiefs uh, after being let go for a second time. He and Derek Johnson shared a hug uh, at midfield. This was the same game Jamal Charles suffered uh, his torn ACL injury. 
2011. Uh, DJ and Gunther shared a, a nice moment in the middle of the field after the game. And this is after a blowout loss when, obviously, Derek Johnson's not feeling too good uh, given the way that game went uh, for everybody. Uh, but the reason I make a point of that, there are a lot of players, a lot of players, when a head coach or a coordinator gets fired, those, a lot of players are very happy to hear about that and they're glad to move on from that coach. I know Gunther Cunningham didn't have the greatest defense in his second stint with the Chiefs, but players still loved the guy. They really did. And they loved playing for him. Again, not the most dominant run uh, as a head coach nor as a defensive coordinator in his second stint, but the players still loved him either way. They wanted to play hard for him. Because of what he brought to the table. Because of the aggressiveness he always emphasized with his players. I asked you guys on the Facebook page. Facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. What is your favorite Gunther Cunningham moment? A lot of great responses here. Uh, A lot of interesting ones. Uh, Dexter said the middle finger against the Dallas Cowboys was legendary. Scott said when he went at it with uh, Ravens fans in the press box. Because the press box was so low. So where fans could pretty much, they were within arm's length. Thankfully, there was a glass window there. So uh, you couldn't get too close, but still pretty close enough to the point where fans could shout comfortably at the uh, coaches. And it got to the point where Gunther Cunningham responded to that. Uh, So that was Scott's favorite moment. Josh said the video of him cutting off the shirt tails of any player who wore them long during practice because he thought it looked sloppy. Uh, Several people... Uh, in fact, two different people with the name Michael mentioned this, funny enough. Uh, the F Family Fun Night comment. Brent also mentioned that as well uh, when he was on Hard Knocks. Uh, compl- Herm Edwards, I think, just gave a, a, a spiel to all the players. He said, hey, look, it's Family Fun Night. Uh, the fans paid a lot of money for this, so please be nice. Please sign autographs, smile, and take pictures. And I guess Gunther Cunningham did not want to do that. Family Fun Night. <laughs> Yep, that's it right there. Uh, that was him saying F Family Fun Night. Uh, appreciate all of you guys who commented on there. A lot of other great comments on there as well. Never too late to join in on the conversation, uh, whether it's Gunther Cunningham or anything we've discussed on uh, on this podcast or on the page. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. I am hoping to announce next episode how it involves you, the listener, uh, another way to interact on the show. Uh Still working on the details on that, but I hope to have a an, a full announcement about that on Monday's episode. So, little teaser there, but we're pretty close to completing it. So, stay tuned, and hopefully I can uh, provide the details on there as well as on social media. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. One of the biggest stories this week in the NFL, the Jets fired their general manager, and I know I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Mike McGagnan, I think is how you say it. Uh, They let him go after four seasons, I believe. Uh, He was the general manager uh, of the Jets. Uh, Look, I always think it's interesting when teams fire a GM after the draft, before the regular season gets underway. We saw the Buffalo Bills do that right after the draft. A couple of years ago, the, the same year where they traded their pick when the Chiefs traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. Maybe that uh, could have been a reason as to why the Bills uh, made that move to fire their GM. We saw this in Kansas City uh, a couple of summers ago when John Dorsey was fired uh, shortly after the, the Bills did it. And kind of made you question, uh, you know, why is it that this happens after the offseason, essentially, as you get ready for the the upcoming season. Uh, you know, a lot of things can come into play, and obviously we talked about the trade involving Darren Lee. The Jets wasted no time moving on with their business. Adam Gase wasted no time with this, and look, I think that's the best way to go about it. If you're going to be the interim GM, obviously that's a pretty significant role. You'd love to be the main general manager moving forward, and you're trying to do everything you can to impress Woody Johnson, who maybe a lot of people feel like he should sell the team, but this is uh, it's kind of been an interesting move. Even when, the, and by the way, the Jets, a lot of drama involving how Adam Gase did not want Le'Veon Bell, and 
Yeah, boy. Even when things go well for the Jets, when they get a big name player like Le'Veon Bell, it's I mean the drama just follows Le'Veon Bell wherever he goes. It's that bad. By the way, a lot of Chiefs fans, including me, wanted Patrick Peterson from the Cardinals. Now at this point, some Chiefs fans think he'd still be good to bring on, and he'd be cheaper. But I don't know if it's such a good idea. The Cardinals cornerback, all-pro cornerback, suspended six games due to use of PEDs. I mean, look, it's you just have to suffer the consequences for it. You do. Uh, you're a big-name player, eight-time Pro Bowler, if I remember correctly, and use of PEDs, yeah, that's going to get you in trouble. And I don't know. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say about that. I will say this. Thank goodness he didn't come to the Chiefs. Because, listen, at this rate with the Tyree Hill drama and what happened with Kareem Hunt and the bad PR with Frank Clark, if Patrick Peterson did get traded for the Chiefs and this news came out, could you just imagine the negative PR that would have came out for this? It would have been a nightmare for Ted Cruz and all those guys working at public relations for the Chiefs. That would have been terrible to have to work for. I, I It's... Ugh. The Chiefs dodged a bullet on that one. Uh, by the way, all those Twitter reporters who said Patrick Peterson was on his way and that the trade was complete and it just wasn't formally announced, those are the same people who said that Earl Thomas was spotted at KCI during the season and was about to become a Chief. Uh, so much for that. Funny how that all works out. Uh, by the way, a former Chief made it in the news. Scott Pioli resigned as the assistant general manager for the Falcons. Uh, I guess his time working with Bob Sutton in the same building, uh, very short-lived. I was kind of hoping that would last a long time, but uh, not the case. Scott Pioli steps down. Very interesting. I still remember Scott Pioli when he came to Kansas City, and people criticized Clark Hunt for that hiring now. But at the time, it was impossible to think that that was a bad call. Every single team that needed a GM was targeting Scott Pioli. When he just came to Kansas City, I guess... He got power hungry, and it was it, it was all just downhill. Uh, you hardly saw any significant improvement with the team under Scott Pioli. Uh, it's unfortunate, but he just has not done very well since leaving the Patriots organization. He he wants that role to be the general manager again. Everyone wants to return to that role, uh, but not the case. Uh, maybe he signs a one-day contract with the Chiefs. Maybe Todd Haley signs a one-day contract with the Chiefs at this point. You never know. Uh, I look, I mean, at this point with the sense of humor, some people have in this day and age, why not? I'd be open to a one day contract for Scott Pioli and Todd Haley. You never know. Crazier things have happened. Let's go out of bounds. Man, in heartbreaking fashion, the Toronto Raptors. Managed to defeat the 76ers in Game 7. Again, pretty dramatic fashion, too, with that game-winning shot. Bouncing around a couple of times around the rim and falls in. And Joel Embiid, former Kansas Jayhawk, obviously emotional after that. And how could you not? Uh, I mean, the way he had played in the playoffs up to that point and all year long and in the past couple of years, missing uh, some time because of uh, injuries he's dealt with. And, uh, man, just how close he was. It seemed like, really, this was a year for the 76ers. Uh, just really a tough way to go out, but man, uh, such an exciting win for the Raptors. Probably one of the more exciting ways you can win a Game 7 in sports right there, and the Raptors pulled it off. Pretty cool way for the Raptors to win this. I've got to admit, I have not followed this story a whole lot, but I think it's worth bringing up on here. We don't talk about this team a whole lot, but Sporting Kansas City has not been doing very well. In fact, they are the second worst team in Major League Soccer right now. Uh, after being one game removed from the Major League, uh, or from the MLS Cup. I don't know if they call it the Major League Soccer Cup. I guess MLS Cup is a more proper term. I don't know. Now, I've got to say, I don't know exactly why Sporting Kansas City is, is, is doing poorly this year. I don't follow soccer very closely. I, I'll be honest, man. I'll watch it if it's on. Uh, but if I can find other things to do, I will. Uh, I'll get Twitter notification or not Twitter, uh, Bleacher Report, ESPN notifications when they have the final score. That's really as close as I follow the Sporting Kansas City. But man, they have not been doing very well this year. And again, this is a team that has done very well under Peter Vermees. And I can't remember the name of the other guy, uh, the other coach 
who he replaced. Um, believe it was Kurt Onfalo. Could be wrong uh, on the pronunciation of his name, but uh, when Peter Vermes took over for him, at the time they were the Wizards, that soccer team really improved under Vermees. Now, here's Vermees dealing with his biggest obstacle uh, with Sporting KC. And, you know, in this day and age with sports, you know, one or two bad years might be enough for you to lose your job as a head coach. Uh, I don't know exactly if that'll be the case for Peter Vermees. I hope not. But uh, we see it a lot in sports now. Uh, people want that turnaround now. We've seen it in so many different sports that you can turn a season around. Uh, overnight, it feels like, and it, within a season, sometimes uh, still a lot of time left, but not looking too good right now for Sporting Kansas City. I believe they've only gotten two wins all year long, and that is the second fewest in the MLS so far this year. By the way, I, I mentioned this uh, a month ago, but the hockey playoffs, the NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, they were a lot of fun to watch early on. Now they've gotten really boring to the point where. I don't even know if, if there are a lot of exciting storylines this year. I mean, to start off this year, I mean, so many fights, obviously. I remember the Golden Knights and Sharks, they had a big brawl after one of their games, and I think it was the Bruins, and I can't remember who their opponents were. They had a massive brawl after the ending of one of their games. Now it's at the point where these hockey playoffs aren't as exciting anymore. Last year you had uh, Alex Ovechkin with the Washington Capitals. And how a lot of people thought, is this finally the year Alex Ovechkin, one of the bigger names in hockey, going to finally get a Stanley Cup? And then the other side of it, the Vegas Golden Knights, in their first season as a franchise, about to go to a championship, which they did, and almost won the Stanley Cup. Uh, that was very interesting, and that got a lot of people following uh, the Stanley Cup. Not, we, we, we had not seen that with hockey, but this year it doesn't seem like it's going to be the case. You've got who? we got the Blues, and listen, I know we, we've got a lot of Blues fans listening here. That's the biggest hockey team close to Casey, but I'm sorry, it's just it's not attracting a lot of attention. you got the Sharks right now, uh, which I'm still bitter about how they beat the Golden Knights, but you know what? Never The, the referee's call is never an excuse to blow a 3-1 series lead. Uh, you got the Bruins likely to advance. I, honestly, at this point, if I'm the NHL, I'm hoping that the Bruins uh, do a lot of big things here because you know Tom Brady's going to tweet about it and you're going to try to include that into your broadcast to try to at least, at least get some attention. Uh, look at Mahomes and all the things he had brought attention to in KC. A lot of people even admitted they followed Sporting KC because Mahomes was there. Uh, I tweeted about that. A lot of people weren't happy, but... That was, that was the case. A lot of people responded said that's why they were watching, because of Mahomes. But uh, at this point, I think if you're hoping to get any sort of attention, I guess Boston would be your uh, your best bet. Last thing I want to discuss here. So Turner uh, owns a lot of networks. Uh, TNT, one of them. TBS, another one. Uh, True TV, another one. Uh, if you've not- noticed, those are some of the uh, networks that broadcast the SEAA tournament. But Turner announced... That it's going to broadcast uh, AEW, which is a pro wrestling promotion. Uh, not WWE, uh, AEW. Now, I'm not a pro wrestling guy. I don't know much about it. I know we've discussed pro wrestling a lot. They've had some notable topics that I've, I thought were worthy of bringing on uh, our closing segments lately. But Turner, they act, if I'm not mistaken, Turner did try to broadcast pro wrestling in 2005. I don't remember if it was WWE or another Pro wrestling uh, promotion, they took a lot of heat for it because at the time, people frowned upon pro wrestling. Now it's one of the more popular things out there. People don't really criticize it as much. People know it's fake. Even kids are know it's fake. I think there was a time where a lot of people were unaware uh, that 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 this was entertainment per se. Uh, and then a big story came out in the late nineties about how. Some of the punches and kicks were fake. How they stomp with their feet to make some noise when they connect on a punch or whatever. Uh, nowadays, those kinds of topics are not even discussed with pro wrestling. Uh, now it's gotten to the point where I think Turner looked at uh, Fox because Fox now broadcasts WWE programs, and they said, "Look, we gotta we gotta get involved in some way with this. If Fox is doing it, so should we." And here's Turner getting involved with all of this. As well, you guys know I love these kinds of topics with broadcast networks and getting involved with competition in these uh, kinds of ways. 
Uh, and now you see Turner getting involved, trying to air pro wrestling promotions. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. I want to go back to the Kentucky Derby, and I also want to go back to something we've discussed with Major League Baseball, which has to do with pace of play, and I want to combine them together. You might be wondering why. Well, there is a clip out there on social media of the Kentucky Derby, and the opacity is different to where you can see Zach Grinke, former Kansas City Royals pitcher. He takes forever to throw a pitch. In fact, in between pitches... If you compared how long it took for Zach Greinke to throw a pitch and how long the Kentucky Derby took, the Kentucky Derby was faster than an an incident, a moment where Greinke had between two pitches in a game recently. Look, I've talked about this before. Baseball games are taking forever now. Major League Baseball wants to improve pace of play. It started in 2020 when they put out a clock for inning breaks. Now they're wanting to consider a pitcher's clock and a pitcher minimum requiring them to face at least three batters. Major League Baseball, uh, if I remember correctly, they want games to be under two hours and 50 minutes. It's taking more than three hours. It's pretty bad right now. And you wonder why baseball games are taking so long. Look at a couple of the Royals games this week. They did not end until 10.30, 10.45, 10.50, close to 11, a couple of their games this week. Uh, and their games start at 7.15. Why? Uh, I mean, who knows why? Uh, there could be a lot of reasons as to why they take so long on a consistent basis. But uh, look, on a weekday, especially when the team is so bad and some people, maybe they have a, a short drive. Maybe some people have an hour-long drive uh, from the stadiums. And on a weekday, look, it's just not ideal. You want these games to be quicker. I think, especially with the pace of baseball, it's not as exciting because there can be a lot of low-key moments at least when the games are a little bit shorter i think it makes it a little bit better for the fan experience and people are wondering why aren't people watching baseball as much as they used to why aren't people selling as many tickets for baseball and pace of play is a huge reason for that and i think you have to start implementing the pitcher's clock and the pitcher uh minimum requirement of three at-bats. You've got to do that if you're Major League Baseball. Look, I know I'm probably the only one who feels this way. I hate the way the NBA draft uh, does their lottery. I, I, I don't even like the lottery. I don't like it. Why is it that the team with the 13th worst record has a valid chance at the number one overall pick? Why? Uh, look, I, I hate to say it in this context, but if you're the worst team in your sport, that has to hold some sort of value, which would be the number one overall pick for your sport in the upcoming draft. It shouldn't be a lottery where the 14 worst teams, and I know some teams may have multiple picks based off a trade uh, that they were involved in, but you shouldn't have a chance at the number one pick. It should be worse team than the second worst team, than the third, fourth, fifth, and so on. Uh, I've never been a fan of the draft lottery, and I hope the NFL never does it. All right, I don't know whose great idea this was, but whoever on Snapchat came up with that female, the woman filter... Uh, NFL memes put together all the headshots of some quarterbacks and they put Tom Brady, they put Mahomes I mean they put all the big name quarterbacks on there and uh, you saw some pretty faces but faces I honestly cannot unsee I, 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 I cannot remove those images from my head ever again I can't uh, who came up with this? I really want to know who came up with this and I, I hope they get fired I hope they get fired real soon Okay, we got one more, so let's talk politics. Yay, why not? Uh, So I'm sure you guys have heard that the government is trying to get a space force. That's interesting. Uh, Ted Cruz was quoted saying that he is the governor of Texas, by the way. Uh, Which, uh, uh, okay, I'm not going to get on this right, because then we're going to get too political. But Ted Cruz said 
It's important to have a space force because we need to eliminate the space pirates. What space pirates is he talking about? What movies has he been watching too much of? This is a guy who was the governor of Texas. This is a guy who came close to becoming the Republican nominee for President of the United States. And this guy's talking about space pirates. Look, man, I'll, I'll just be upfront. I, I've, I've made it clear on the podcast before and on social media. I'm not a, I'm not a Trump guy. If anything, I'm strongly against him. But if I had to decide between Trump and Cruz, give me Trump 100 times over Cruz any day of the week. I just don't know how anyone can take Cruz seriously. I really don't. I don't even know how people in Texas voted for him. How do you do that? How do you vote that guy for office? Um, that is one of life's unsolved mysteries to me. That'll do it for this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. A lot of topics we discussed on here. Never too late to get in on the discussion. Facebook.com slash Farzimisugin. Twitter.com slash Farzim21. And make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, and share the links as well. Appreciate all of you who have been doing that, spreading the word about the podcast. I hope to have an announcement on Monday, and if I, if I figure it out before Monday, I'll say something on social media, and hopefully you guys take advantage of it. I hope to announce something pretty cool involving this podcast, and it has to do with you guys. Uh, I don't want to say any more, but I'm pretty certain it's going to happen, and I'm sure I'll have something to say on social media, or at the very least, on Monday's podcast. We'll have a podcast on Monday... I'll take a bit of a break for my birthday, and then we will be back on Thursday the 30th. So uh, about a week and a half, uh, the next time we'll have a podcast. Appreciate you guys for downloading and listening into the podcast. I'm Farzi Vesugian, the host. I will talk to you guys on Monday. Enjoy your weekend. <laughs>